Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about soil management. We have three members of Extension's Nutrient Management team. Can you each give us a quick introduction? Hi, everyone. My name is Fabian Fernandez. I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist in the St. Paul campus, uh, doing research in nitrogen management for corn cropping systems and environmental quality. And I also do extension work. I'm Anna Cates. I'm the State Soil Health Specialist, also on the St. Paul campus, and I do extension and research on soil organic matter and soil function. And I'm Jody Deang Hughes with the as an extension educator out of the Wilmer office, and I work with farmers on helping them reduce tillage and compaction and erosion. Great. Uh, so starting off, how do erosion and tillage practices impact nutrients in the soil and nutrient management? One of the key things that I always like to tell farmers is that um, farming in the field is a lot easier than farming in a pot. Um, you know, when you're um, when you're growing a plant in a pot, you're pretty much um, constrained to that pot, that small piece of soil that you have in there. Um, but when we have compaction in the soil, basically what we end up having is trying to grow crops in a field that looks like a field, but it's kind of a pot because it's, it's uh, constrained, the, the roots are constrained by, by the compaction around it. And so uh, even though you have a huge amount of soil volume for those roots to explore for water, nutrients, uh, in reality, the, the crop is uh, within a very small confine. And so that's, that's one of the major issues. Uh, the, the other part too is that, for roots to grow through the soil, they need to exert energy. They have to push through the soil. And if the pore space is very tiny, the roots have to explore or put more energy into that exploration. And uh, so that affects, you know, how much energy of that crop is being used for root exploration versus, um, you know, creating leaves uh, eventually yield. So those are some of the things that I always like to remind people about. And then, of course, the other part is with um, the soil having pore space is very important for both oxygen and water. Both are important for nutrient uptake. Uh, the roots will not function very well if there is not enough oxygen. And similarly, nutrients will not flow or, or diffuse in, in the uh, volume of that soil if there is no adequate amount of water. Uh, in terms of some nutrients like nitrogen, uh, if you have compaction also, you can end up with kind of saturated areas of the soil, even though the soil may look dry, the small pores may have be completely full of water and that can create ideal conditions for instance, for like denitrification where you lose uh, nitrogen through that process. And so there are a lot of ramifications to soil compaction and, and nutrient availability. Yes, and on the erosion side, I always like to say that if you're losing soil, you can't have healthy soil. Soil has to stay in place to be built into healthy soil. And so the other thing about erosion losses of soil is that the finer particles tend to blow or flow away and those finer particles are where organic matter is held. And organic matter is your source for organic nutrients. In particular, organic nitrogen usually accounts for about half of a corn crop's nitrogen uptake. 
Yes, and uh, along those lines as well, we looked at uh, snurt in the ditch on uh, one of the winters. And we did this in mid-February. So we still had a few more months that we could have had uh, our soil blowing into the ditch. And we looked at six different ditches all the way from white with snow to the snow looking very black with all the soil on top of it. And we found that we were average of the six was losing nine tons of soil was accumulating into that ditch. And in that was about 55 pounds of nitrogen, 27 pounds of potassium and 13 pounds of phosphorus. And so we see this every winter, there is some soil that moves to the ditch. So controlling erosion is huge to keep our nutrients in the soil or in the field where we want them. And also with that, we found that we were losing, um, the average organic matter was 4.1%. So all of our good soil is what's blowing and washing away. You know, the, this is actually something that I find very intriguing, very interesting because um, especially, you know, with the work that both Anna and Jody uh, are doing with soil health, uh, farmers are very concerned about soil health and improving the health of their soil and increasing organic matter and looking at what they can do to do that. And the thing that sometimes gets forgotten is that the most important thing you can do is not losing it on the in the first place. If, if you have it, don't lose it because uh, it takes a lot more work and a lot more time to build organic matter than it takes to lose it. That's so true, Fabian. And I think it's kind of a, a psychological thing. It's way more fun to think about building soil than to just try not to lose it, right? That's, that's a negative goal to just say, let's try to get to zero. Whereas with soil health, we think about building better and better and better. But baseline is keeping the soil around. I, I have noticed uh, that the challenge sometimes is when it's imperceptible, right? It's, it's right. very difficult to to measure some of these things. I mean, this nerd that you mentioned, Jody, is is kind of easy to see, I guess, you know, even though it doesn't seem like that much, but then you measure and you realize, oh, wow, there is quite a bit in there. But one thing that I always call my attention is in I-80 in Iowa, there is a rest stop that has um, a depiction of the, uh, the soil erosion that has happened since the 1800s. And it's pretty massive. I mean, these very incremental amounts uh, amount to a huge amount over time. So it is important to, to recognize that. Yes, and uh, North Dakota has found out that they have a, a few areas where they've lost up to 19 inches of topsoil in the last 100 years. And um, you can't build topsoil. You, uh, you can't create soil. You can build your organic matter content, but you can't put more sand, silt, and clay into your field. So people talk about, well, you can build soil in 400 years. And it's like, well, even if you could, that's way out of our lifetime. Yeah, that's a real long-term prospect of soil building. <laughs> Probably not relevant for next year's nutrient supply. No, no. Uh, and ARS out of Morris had a, a nice study too, where they looked at highly erodible lands that have been moldboard plows. So the, the worst situation you can be in and what they found is um, that they were losing about 27 tons of soil. We're moving downslope due to the tillage. And then rain was capturing those uh, more individual particles due to the tillage and moving another nine tons of soil down the hill. And so a total of 36 tons per acre 
per year, we're moving down the hills. And, um, it, you know, it has a lot of nutrients in it. And it's, it's something that we can definitely, you know, manage and, and stop. Jody, that brings actually uh, an interesting point. Uh, you know, I've done work with the strip till and um, people ask me if that's better than conventional till or, or no till and things like that. And one of the things that I try to remind people about all the time, and this is more related to the work I do with nutrient management, you know, with broadcast versus banding the fertilizer below the surface and things like that. And tillage can have a huge effect on uh, erosion. Uh, if we don't do the tillage correctly, we can actually induce erosion. Um, we may think that there is more potential for erosion with conventional tillage than a strip till, but if you are doing the strips uh, in the gradient of, of the slope, uh, you're actually creating channels for water to, to move. And if you put nutrients, of course, those nutrients will also move. So it's very important to kind of think about you know the the physics of of water movement and 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 soil and particle movement yeah exactly um and strip till especially in the first few years if you're stripping up and down a slope uh yeah you can create those channels where it's they go right down the berm area the water takes that soil and and it goes so try to go across slopes and i know that's not always possible but Farmers have also reported after three or four years when they build the soil health that you have more structure and so those aggregates are just heavier and a little bit harder to move downhill with wind or water. And so it just it takes time to build your soils. But basically when you lose soil by wind or water erosion, it's taking nutrients with it. Ones that you paid to have in your field for your crop are leaving. Yes, and I know we're probably ready to talk about something besides erosion, but I do think one of the reasons it's hard to focus on and invisible is because it, it does happen so imperceptibly smallly so, uh, in such tiny amounts. And we're working on some measurements in my lab to actually show how much sediment is moving and lost. And one of the little preliminary pieces of data we got this spring is that even just in the difference between strip tilled and field cultivated plots, which are not the most extreme form forms of tillage, you are seeing a difference in how much sediment is moving. And when you have that field cultivation of the surface layer disturbing all the soil aggregates, you are seeing more sediment move. So who knows how far it'll move, but it will be moving. So after a dry spring and summer this year, what should growers know about soil and nutrient management heading into the fall? Well, you know, I think uh, years like this year is where people realize how much um, compaction can do or, or um, affect your your yields, your crops. Uh, you know, in the fall, we are all excited to go and harvest the crops and we don't think about the uh, really heavy equipment, you know, carts full of grain moving through the field um, and things like that. But in years like this year where we had dry conditions, that's where you start to see those very clearly in the field because um, as I was, mentioning earlier, those compacted soils have less capacity to store water, uh, less capacity for the crops to use the, the resources, the water or nutrients that are in there. And that's where you start to see uh, the issues in the field. And so one of the things that I would say, you know, going into this fall, 
is especially since we have been dry and I think we are, we are probably going to be ahead of the game in terms of harvest is that once we finish harvest is uh, the temptation is to go in and till the ground and then be busy in the field doing things and uh, I've seen that happening I don't know if it's psychological or, or what but uh, it seems like it's good to be in the field doing something while we still have time typically the challenge is that we don't have enough time to do everything but in years like this year I suspect unless it gets really wet that we'll have a lot of time to do tillage and do nutrient uh, applications and all that stuff and so if that's the case I would say you know do the tillage that you need to do but don't do more tillage than you just need to do uh, I, I get that a lot of people like to see you know the uh, black soil but try to minimize the amount of tillage you do just because you have the time and 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 the uh, conditions you do tillage it doesn't mean that you need to really do a lot of tillage and get the ground ready for like planting almost in the fall uh, and then with nutrients too that's the other important thing you know uh, phosphorus potassium placement or applications in the fall are typically the ideal time to do it because the soils tend to be dry so they support more weight uh, you have the ability to apply nutrients without compaction uh, and so as you have time especially if we harvest early look at those conditions and you know don't go right after a rain try to go before rain when the soils are a little bit drier so that you create less compaction those are kind of the things i would think in terms of of nutrient and then in terms of um tillage uh you know in under dry conditions you can actually help reduce some of the uh the compaction that was created in previous years by shattering some of the, that compaction. But I, will, I would like to actually ask Jody her thoughts about, um, you know, like deep, uh, deep tillage uh, to break compaction when the soils are dry, if that's a good idea or, or what her thoughts are about that. Well, um, from all the soil pits I've been in for the last 20 years around Minnesota, I have only been in a few that have plow pans um, that are pretty consistent across the field but every field I go into has tire tracks, you know, and, and the compaction there. So it's, it's a different method that you use to take care of it. And when they talk about deep tillage, I would take a straight shank to go through that soil and just kind of pop through plow pans, but it doesn't really help on your um, wheel traffic. What does help really well is, right, if your field over the summer got really dry and you had cracks in the soil, you're doing tillage down, it's tillage down to the depth of those cracks. And if you're in the clays, especially around Fargo, we've been there where they go down, you know, four or five feet. We've done soil pits and we see these cracks go all the way down and there's, you know, wrenches in there and small children that got lost. And, but uh, we try to, that is our deep tillage. If it's really dry in the fall, yes, it's a good time to go and break up those plow pans. Um, Remember Mother Nature is helping a little bit. And, but the one issue is also the soil pits that I've been in this summer is we are very dry down two, three feet. Uh, some of us received rain that helped, you know, recharge the top foot. And I think Anna, you had talked about that the rains that we're receiving now are really for next year, not for this year. And I agree. So the more tillage you do, the more evaporation you're going to get. And 
right now I really think we need to reduce our tillage just so we can keep that moisture for next year. Yeah, I would add to that, that this dry summer, I had some uh, soil moisture sensors and I was actually hoping to monitor the effect of big rain events, but we didn't get a lot of those. And instead we're monitoring the effects of a drought in farms that have a long history of either tillage, uh, low tillage and cover crops or more tillage and less cover crops. And we did see actually at depth is where those farms that were using soil conserving practices were able to conserve moisture over this dry year. At the surface, it dried out everywhere. But when you get down 10 inches, it's those soil health fields where we really saw soils with higher moisture. So that's where um, I think you can really do a favor to your plants in terms of conserving moisture over time. And I guess the other thing, Jody, is just following up on what you said. Yes, we do need this moisture now to recharge for next year. And uh, hopefully it won't muck up the harvest season as it comes in. But uh, it does put us in a much better position looking at the 2022 cropping season. And uh, Fabian, I, I've been hearing farmers talking about uh, doing more fall nitrogen testing because since it was so dry, you know, the plant may have not used a lot of it, couldn't get to it. What are you thinking on that? Yeah, that that's uh, a, a real uh, concern right now, or, or a real opportunity, I guess, uh, depending on how you look at it, right? Um, and um, I would say, I mean, if you are doing fall nitrogen applications, uh, looking at the residual would be important uh, before you apply fertilizer or nitrogen fertilizer. If you are doing spring applications, uh, I you can do some testing just to kind of see where things are at, but the challenge with that is that nitrogen can be lost and it's typically not lost during the fall, it's typically lost in early spring after the thaw, uh, where we have typically the, the soil conditions are wetter, we have normally recharge the soil water, the profile is full of water and additional rain just basically moves nitrogen and water down. And so we can lose quite a bit of that nitrogen. So the fact that you are seeing nitrogen rain now doesn't mean that it will necessarily be there in the next spring. And this is actually one of the things that we're always concerned about with years like these where it's dry, where we know that most likely there will be some residual nitrogen, but we also know that there will probably be a lot of nitrate leaching out in tile lines, you know, in this fall if it gets wet or into the next spring uh, from nitrogen that was applied this growing season and it was never really used by the crop. So again, I think it's good to kind of see where you are at uh, because you can save quite a bit of nitrogen uh, costs by, by accounting for the nitrogen that is in the soil, but ultimately um, we need to be aware that the spring is typically when we lose most of the nitrogen, whether it's residual nitrogen or nitrogen that mineralized during the fall and early spring, that's when we lose it the most is in the spring before the crops can use it. I was going to ask though, Fabian, these late summer rains, I mean, those aren't getting that nitrogen to this year's crop so much, right? We're not having crops take up a lot of that nitrogen now. So you've got nitrogen probably flowing through the profile with all the big rains we've had in August, wouldn't you say, in September? Yes, and, and there's been certainly some, some uh, flow and in some other areas, I mean, the soil is so dry that it, it takes quite a bit of rain actually before you will see 
tile flowing uh, with water. Uh, I mean, you get some preferential flow, which, you know, you get a rain and then you get some trickling, but uh, typically until the soils really fill up, it, it takes a while. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The, the nitrogen that is in the soil right now is not being used by the crop. I mean, most, most of the crops are at R6 or, you know, close to physiological maturity. So they are, they are not really taking up nutrients anymore. And, um, and even if they are taking nutrients, uh, they are going to maybe green up a little bit, um, but they, they are not going to, that nitrogen is not, go, not really going to be transported out in grain. Uh, it will be pretty minimum. So yes, we have a, a lot of chance here of having nitrogen surplus uh, for next growing season. But again, depending on, on what happens in the spring in terms of nitrogen loss potential. Um, and since we are talking about nutrient management, one thing that and related to dry soils is soil sampling, whether you're doing it for nitrogen or for PNK or anything else. Um, it's very important to to go with the recommended depth of, of sampling. It's, you know, sticking a probe in the ground when it's dry is pretty tough. But uh, I always say that uh, the information you get from a soil test result is as good as the soil sample that uh, you uh, provided the lab with. And so if you're going very shallow in your sampling, uh, especially in conservation tillage systems where PNK tends to accumulate more in the surface than the subsurface, you can really end up getting inflated values in your results because you are basically tapping onto the uh, first few inches of the soil where you have the highest concentration and not in the uh, lower depths where nutrients tend to be a little bit lower. And so your test results may show that you have more fertility than you actually have. And, and just remember that all the, the guidelines that we provide from the university are based on a, for PNK on a six inch depth. And so if you are not using six inches, then um, those values may not reflect the, the actual fertility for, for the crop. How can farmers better manage soils to avoid nutrient issues? Are cover crops a good idea this year? Well, I've heard different opinions from farmers on that. Some of them say, well, in a, when I've got real dry soils, I don't want to use up any soil moisture or I don't want to risk having the seed not come up at all. There's an economic risk to that. I've had other farmers say, well, I'm definitely not going to have any cover crops come up if I don't plant any. So that would be a bad bet, too. Uh, so I think it really um, it is an interesting year for cover crop planting, but the late moisture we've gotten is going to help things get established. And the early harvest is also going to really help things get established. So those things are really good for fall cover crop establishment. And we don't know what the future is going to bring in terms of weather, whether it's intense rain or more dry periods, but cover crops in the long term as part of your system can help your soil uh, hold more moisture because it's going to improve that soil structure and the water holding capacity and the residue on the surface is also going to reduce the evaporation in the spring. So that's hard in a wet year, but it's good in a dry year. So we don't know exactly what spring 22 is going to be like, but that cover crops should help sort of stabilize the system and reduce the highest highs and the lowest lows of stress for your crop by improving that soil structure over time. Yeah, and you know, coming back to what we were talking about residual nitrogen being high, 
this will be one year where I would say, even if we are a little concerned about moisture, and, and of course, I mean, cover crop establishment is always a challenge. It's, you never know what is going to happen, even in, in kind of good or normal years. Um, you might not get the establishment that you hope for. And, uh, but, you know, kind of going by, by the chance of cover crops making a benefit for you, I think this is a year where I would encourage people to plant cover crops, if nothing else, to sequester some of the nitrogen that is in the system now, so that if we get wet in the spring and we start losing nitrogen, at least that portion of nitrogen that was taken up by the cover crops stays for the, the cash crop the, the following year. Uh, my suspicion is that even, um, I mean, we are not in a desert. And so even if it's dry right now, I suspect that cover crops can help us also retain some of the, uh, the snow accumulation that we get. And so typically in the spring, we will have, if not a full profile, I, was, I would suspect that we'll have a pretty close to full profile with, with the water that the soils can hold. And so uh, my suggestion would be try to put some of those cover crops, if nothing else, just to um, capture nitrogen and save it for the next crop. I, I, I was also kind of interested, I, I'm starting to look at some data that I have for um, some cover crops with rye and we are measuring um, moisture in the soil. And I was actually interested that, to see that uh, with rye, we were comparing rye versus no rye. We actually had a little bit more moisture with the rye cover crop. It was terminated early before planting corn and soybeans, but we ended up with a little bit more moisture in the plus with rye than the ones that had no rye. And I suspect that that's related to, um, to rye basically creating a little blanket uh, in the spring that you know kept the, the soil from heating up and evaporating. Uh, and so you could actually end up saving some water by having uh, some kind of cover. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on the way you phrased that, Fabian. We've got nitrogen sequestration. Sometimes cover crops are blamed for nitrogen immobilization, holding the nitrogen where crops can't use it. But in the long game, that nitrogen is going to be more available in your cover crop biomass that's slowly decomposing than it is flowing out your tile drain. So it's holding it for the next year's crop eventually. And if not the 2022 crop, then upcoming after that. And when cover crops are that nice blanket that you have out there, you know that your erosion is going to be way down. And to me, that's that's the number one thing I look out out, out in fields is uh, stop the erosion. So many things will follow that are. I mean, all the things that you do to stop erosion also build soil health. So they they go hand in hand really well. Yeah, and you you know thinking about uh, this this uh, thing that we're talking about nitrogen and nit nitrogen sequestration. Again, when we look at when we lose nitrogen, typically is in the spring. And so if the challenge with cover crops sometimes is if you let them go too long and then the carbon to nitrogen ratio gets too high and then it takes quite a bit of time for, for that nitrogen that was taken up by the cover crop to recycle back into the system, become plant available in a plant available form, ammonium nitrate for the crop. Um, but again, I suspect that if you have a cover crop that has plenty of nitrogen to, to accumulate, those carbon to nitrogen ratios are not going to get as high as quickly first. And then um, second, if you terminate the crop, the, 
it will take a little bit of time for, for that mineralization process to take place. And that can be really advantageous. Um, we are looking in, in some of our studies, looking at um, the interaction of um, cover crops and nitrogen timing. And well, looking of course at the agronomic performance of the cash crops, but also um, water and nitrate leaching and we find that those cover crops actually are really beneficial in the uh, in the sense that they take up nitrogen out of the system is in organic form in the spring when you are losing most of that nitrogen because there is nothing there to to really use it the the, the cash crops are not there yet but the nitrogen that were was taken up by those cover crops is organic in, or, in an organic form in parts of the plant material that maybe it's already terminated that cover crop is terminated but still is not there to be leached because it's organic and so that's where we could see some some benefits of, of having these cover crops in place is to hold that nitrogen and then uh, uh, again by managing it correctly so that you terminate it early enough that it's not going to have a really high carbon to nitrogen ratio you could potentially end up with quite a bit of that nitrogen uh, available for the next crop. So I think it's it's a good opportunity this year to consider cover crops. Yeah, I'll just add to that the early spring management in a year when you're concerned about water is a really important piece. And so if you don't have your own sprayer, making sure you know who you can call to spray out your cover crop if the co-op isn't available on the day you need it. Uh, so I think having those ducks in a row in advance will really help people be successful with cover crops this year. And again, this early harvest window provides an opportunity to maybe try a different cover crop besides cereal rye, although we are getting down there towards the end of the year even now. But you might uh, be able to find something that's um, a little different and gives you a little bit uh, lower C to N ratio, which would mitigate some of the nitrogen tie up issues Fabian was talking about. I guess the last thing that's important about this year with cover crops too is just that um, cover crops can be livestock feed and with the dry conditions, hay yields across the state have been really low. Forage supplies are really low and planting a cover crop specifically for forage could be really useful. You can maybe get some grazing on it later in this fall. You can maybe uh, harvest it in the spring uh, when forage supplies may still be low. So this is a, a good year to think about that and talk to your neighbors who have livestock if you don't to make sure that uh, you're making the right connections to uh, maybe make an economic opportunity out of what otherwise could have been a hard year. The other thing that cover crops can do and leaving standing residue is that it can capture that snow more evenly across the field. So that, you know, it, a lot of times you'll have these big piles and other areas that are bare and that makes your field warm up and dry out at different rates. So if you can have standing stocks, you'll get that snow more evenly distributed. And also you might be able to catch your neighbor's soil into your field. That's one way to build soil. I think the uh, the silver lining to to all of these you know this tough growing season with so much drought and everything is that time is in our side this year. I feel that uh, you know harvest is progressing pretty quickly, so we have more time than we normally have in the fall um, to do things a little bit better, to not be rushed to you know have to make decisions and. Uh, and like I said earlier, look at kind of the weather forecast and make decisions on 
when to be in the field and when not to be in the field um, so that uh, you reduce compaction and you you improve your chances of, of getting your things done uh, without creating problems down the road. All right, that about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening.